find your calling in life, your true calling in life, not the ones that people or society put on you. It might not be the best looking part, but it's what you want. Use all your energy in your body to achieve it and sit down and wait for the rewards to come because it is going to come. You are now listening to We Are Crayons, the podcast. Conversations with Trinidad and Tobago's creative thinkers and makers. We'll delve into their processes, their struggles, and what drives them to execute continually as creative individuals. I'm your host, Danu McNichol. Do enjoy. Mr. Braxton, welcome to the podcast. Sound engineer producer, businessman in the business for over 20 years. So I'm sure you have some information, some knowledge, some know-how to pass across to our audience. So let's get into it. I am looking forward to this interview really and truly because at the end of the day, I don't do much of it. Right. So to have a little podcast, so it will be cool. And to do it with Dan, who is like even better because yes, yes. (laughs) So yeah, simple. I mean, a simple guy, you know, Daryl Braxton was born in Ari Village, Princess Town from South Trinidad. Um, Last of four kids kind of came up after the others was already gone. So more or less, I kind of grow by myself, you know, so I'm accustomed being by myself and that way I lived in my head a lot. And that was always a real nice place for me. So um, I think anybody who is a last child outside there right now probably totally understand what I'm talking about. So yeah, that's about it. Um, love for music from ever since, from from conception. Then I don't know. I think probably I showed my moms and my pops was listening to music when this thing happened. Because I'm <laughs> telling you, from since I know me, <laughs> it's only about music. Um, anybody who would know me would know what I would kind of, you know, attest to what I do today because I don't know that this was what would have been my part. Started more or less, as I say, well, listening to music all my life, started DJing and doing little stuff in my teenage years, going to secondary school and stuff. Started to want to be a DJ and, you know, play around with turntables and and that was nice. I did that for years. Um, But the the real sweet part about it, even before the DJing came about, was when I started to understand where this thing in my head came from. Mm. And because um, hearing the music in your head and understanding what is going on in your head as a youngster who was not in an environment where people could tell you, well, Daryl, there's music. Right. Because my moms and them didn't really know what I was. They just thought that this guy, this child really liked music. Right. But they didn't know that this child was hearing music too. You know? right. Like like Shadow on this basement thing. Right. Yeah, but I pump him, pump him, pump him in my head. I mean, I used to be hearing things and I didn't know what it was. You know, like, what is these things? Right. right. But I remember, you know, um, secondary school, music class. That's where it really, the, the light went off, the eureka moment. And um, music teacher was Miss Atta. I think, well, if she's alive, you know, Miss Atta, wherever you are. She played middle C on the, on the piano after she asked everybody their names and everything. I know everybody know that secondary school thing does go. And, you know, she, coming on to the end of the, um, the session, that period, she said, well, all right, well, this is, this is the piano and, and the scale and so, so, so. And today we were going to learn the most simple thing. And she said, we are going to say the middle of the keyboard is middle C. So I'm going to play middle C and she plays middle C. And I'm like, okay, interesting. And just from here, now one note did so much things to me. Mm. Because I looked at the piano and I was like, okay, 
if that one note it has so many keys and that you know how much more those notes there and then the music in my head started to make sense immediately mm. and you know she saw the she saw the potential and she kind of more or less helped and mold she helped she really helped and mold and um simple i mean she probably do things with me and for me with music class that she probably don't even know because my interest was just there and i had somebody you know who was learned that could was actually taking the time off to teach me other kids in class was they were not a music class we right. talk about crochet and semitone and semicolon it's like what what language is that nobody cared but somehow i cared somehow that made sense to me what a bass clef is or what a treble clef is and that made sense to me and mm. i started my journey of understanding music from then and well with that and listening and djing and everything it just went from one place to the next and to the next until I really decided, well, now I want to know how to create music. I want to know how to make music now. Right? So um, I think my sis was dating a guy. He was a music teacher around that time. And I told him, I said, well, you know, I want to know how to make music. And you are a music teacher. I learned so much in school. I need to learn more. And he was like, very nice. And he more or less took my hand and guided me further. You know, and I got to learn more chords and progressions and stuff and stuff. And more, every day I learn something, it just means more music come into my head and more music and more music. And the better you get, it's just, it's just great. It just keep flowing. It's like, at a point it was like a waterfall because like I couldn't sleep because like now I could play little things on the keyboard. So I don't want to sleep because every time I get up, I want to play something else and play something else. I hear this, I play it. And I would be recording things because I like a four-track Tascam recorder. So every time I play with my little Casio, I would record it on one track and then record something else. Real caveman days recorded it. <laughs> Real caveman days thing. But it worked for when, for what it was back then. And then um, first real workstation that I got was we were, we had a Korg ONWFD keyboard workstation. And that was it there. That is when I started to learn sequences and how to make music. And damn, oh, that was it. That was when, yeah, I realized that, okay, nothing else I want to do in life. I am going to be making music. I am going to not work for nobody. I told my mother this, my mother tell me I too own way, and this and that. And yeah, that I was just there, I was just about to ask yeah. if, if, if that that support came from your Well, what, what we told with her, it was weird, eh? because she tried, but she knows she tried. Right. Yeah, like she tried to say, well, you know, well, go back, continue your academia, like your sister, this other, that, the other. You know, but there are no point on a tie and say, you know, in a cubicle was never going to be me. Right? Yeah, that was not going to be me. So my thing was, I know what my future was. And I decided to take the risk. And she tried as a parent, really supposed to do, and show you the other side of the coin. Oh, you need to have a security. You need to have this. You need to have this. And me, all I was thinking is being creative. I do that going to be my security. My security is going to be my talent. And probably moms, you ain't seen it yet, but guess what? I knew it. Mm-hmm. I go invest in me. I will put in all the time that I'll be doing, putting into work for somebody else. I will put that time in me because I'm young. I'm 17, 18 years old. And if I put in four or five years of work in me, I think I'll reap better benefit than sit down in a cubicle working for some bank filing data entry things. I some of that just looking like it just was not what I want to do. But but then at at, at that age, at 15, 17, even probably up to 18, mm-hmm. did you have a sense of 
how much work you needed to put in yep. or yeah okay and where where did you get that like knowledge was it innate or that's like boy, that's i think wrong. everything was innate boy because i from princess dong mm. nobody nobody in princess dong. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, it was, this thing was really a dream <laughs> this was a dream because if you live in Ivy Village, Princess Town, you would realize how remote Ivy Village, Princess Town is from where Port of Spain is. Right. And Port of Spain is where everything was happening. So when you watch your mother and tell your mother, you're going to be a music producer, are you going to produce music to actually sustain your life? And they will watch you like you're going mad. What are you talking about? This is almost like impossible, you know? And I used to do a lot of introspection. I say I lived in my head a lot. And I used to just be in my head and figuring out what my life would be. And the weirdest thing is that I said I'll live my life in five-year blocks. I don't know where I got all these little, in, these little ideas from. Mm-hmm. So for first five years, I'll do this. And the next five years, I'll do that. And I gave myself these five-year blocks to live out my life. And when I was 19, as home a day, I used to lie down at this abdominal board. Downstairs, my brother had a few little pieces of, you know, everybody's a little gym gear downstairs. Right. So we had this wheel, uh, abdominal board, dig that. So I used to lie down on this abdominal board and think. That used to be my thinking spot, breeze blowing, chirping, trees, and Princess Long, enjoying the life. And I had a neighbor, God rest her soul, she's dead now. She told my mother, she said, Norma, I think something is wrong with your son. <laughs> so my mother's like, she said, I just see him home just lying down, staying into nothing. And my mother told me, and I said, well, I say she lying. I say, I, because I was never influenced by go on the block and stand up and do nothing. And I never liked that. Right. I never liked the idea of peer pressure and friend and gang and them thing. Nah, I like me. I think I'm not a follower. People will follow me. I don't follow nobody. Mm. I don't care who it is. I tell you right now, I have a problem with Twitter. I am telling you because I don't like to follow people. <laughs> it's done you already don't get it it's a serious thing I still have a problem with hitting the follow button because I do not follow <laughs> it's a weird thing to say but I always tell myself you know that I want to be a leader and I think a lead, being a leader you, you don't really learn that Right. you don't really learn that I think that's just it that's kind of in it that's just who I am and what I was and um, yeah, so by the time I was 19, 20, well, before 19, I know, 18, still in the teens, younger teens, uh, so this was guy that I grew up with, you know, he used to write songs and I would, we would pong my mother's center table and make beats and he would write and we would just, this was our dream. We used to tell ourselves, uh, boy, we'll make it, you know, we'll come out of Princess Town and we'll make it. So that was our dream and that was our motivation and. We did, we did, we tried, we tried, we tried, we tried all kind of thing. Doors closing our faces, but we never stopped. And it went from, as I say, I started from 19, late 80s. So that'd be like 87, 88, 86, all then. And by 96, 97, that guy and I had our first local hit record. And that guy was Ken Marlon Charles, KMC. And we did a song called Bashment the Carnival that more or less changed our lives. And we bought cars and we did things that we said. Yeah, it was real funny because we used to be driving past one another on the road and we'd stop and look like, we, we actually do it. It was like, right. we actually did it. Right. You know, and it was very nice. It was so gratifying to, to just do that. Mm. And, um, you know, so more or less, it, 
that is a fast track kind of put in a nutshell as to where where from where I started and from where I started as a amateur into nothing and until I got my first record. But to get to that point, there were so many things, so many stories, so many ups and downs, so many trials, so many things to learn, so many people to meet and and those were those those things that happened there was what more or less created me today and the person the individual the musician the everything those in those disappointments and so many things that could go wrong and so many few things that would have gone right and yeah, knowing let's, let's 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 if if you can share one or two of those those things especially things that that went wrong because mm. i think the, those are the times that that show us who we are yeah, and, and yeah. whether this thing that, as you say, for your music or whether that I want to pursue or this is my dream mm-hmm. would really test the metal of that. Now. Mm-hmm. Whether that dream is really my dream or just fantasizing about being yeah. something. We when I, when when we started when I when I I left Princess Town in ninety four, ninety three, ninety four, somewhere there. No, Kiskiri Caravan would have already started. And I used to listen to Shellshock doing music and stuff. And and I was really impressed by this guy. Finally, he was amazing. And when I got the opportunity to leave Princeton and pack my bags, and that was it, because my sister, she married and she moved out to this to the north. And I told her, I said, well, could I come and stay with you? She was like, yeah, come. So that was my, I get to reach Port of Spain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I get to come out to the humdrum of Princeton. And when I got up here, you know, the reality check was so dread. It was like, man, this is going to be hard. Because for the, for, for the one part, it's a boys club. Everything is a boys club. Because to get into the business, everybody went to school with everybody. This one knew that one. This one knew this one. Who is this little boy from Princeton? Nobody knew who I am. It was very hard. It was very hard. And a lot of times, you, let, you, you tell yourself you're going to get in the door. Somebody give you a promise and tell you this will happen for you. And it do happen. And lots of times you go in the night so sad, you know, like so beaten down from a whole day of just trying to hustle this thing and trying to get this music to work and walking from downtown to Marvel by Caribbean Sound Basin and trying everything humanly possible. So sometimes to just reach back home in the evening and feel like, okay, nothing happened. And, you know, at that point, sometimes your moms will see you and moms will be like, well, you know, like, why, you, you know, he's a bright fella. Why do we just continue with your education? And and then I would think that, you know, all the years that I put in, I would waste it if I go back to school now and try to rekindle this go and work in a bank thing. So um, I never looked back. I more or less kept pegging on. And it worked out where same KMC again, we started, we did a record and we needed some place to mix it and master it. And we found, a, we went to the phone book and we found a place called Engine Room in Marvel. And I met a guy called Robin Foster because we they gave us some studio time to come and record. And that was another turning point in my life. Because when I got there and they heard the music that I did on this one keyboard, everybody was like, you do this? Mm. I was like, yes. And then before the night was out, Robin and them had a proposal for me if I wanted to come and work and learn more and that kind of thing. And I was so glad because I was like the first real light you see the light and you tell yourself well, okay yeah something could happen here mm. and i tried for best to make sure that i don't blow this because i don't never wanted that one to be a disappointment and i made sure i remember i tell robin and them i say yo i will work hard i will do whatever i listened to robin and them i followed what they said i learned so much and being there in that environment in engineering was the perfect place to be because everybody who's anybody used to be in that studio i mean we used to do all the ads basically in Trinidad for mac and Harrison, corbin 
um, Lonsdale, Ample, ad- you name it. All the studios, all the advertising agencies used to come to Instagram to do the ads. So basically, I started by doing that. And then when they started doing ads, no, all the artists used to be around because right next door to us was Charlie's Roots Band Room. Charlie's Roots was like the number one band in Trinidad. So I started to be exposed to real musicians, the real core. I mean, David Rudder in the place. When you I saw David Rudder for the first time, I was like, wait, now hold on. This is David Rudder? This is actually David Rudder, you know what I mean? And David was, you know, always very quiet. And, you know, you want to talk to David, but you don't know if you can talk to David kind of way. So you learn humility, you learn so much things. And then after being around these guys for a while, everybody started to warm up to you and meet people like Sprang Along. I mean, Sprang Along, people just watch at Dennis Hall as a comedian. But wow, what an educated piece of machinery that guy is. You know what I mean? A podcast like this, we probably need to get Dennis Hall to come and have a podcast for people to really, yo, and he used to be there and, you know, you could bounce anything off of Dennis. You could ask Dennis anything and I used to take these opportunities so when I meet these people to just ask questions, get information, meet musicians, meet Andre Tanker, meet, I mean, when me and David Rudder strike up a nice relationship, I would meet everybody. I met Rash Shorty. I had a nice relationship with him and, one of my favorite in meetings was when I met Kitchener for the once in my life. Once. Mm. One <laughs> meeting. But it was so profound. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, um, he came down to the studio. And um, so when I saw him, because, you know, he always dapper in his little suit and thing and the little hat on the head and come inside. And I see to Robin. I was like, boy, I really like to just talk to the boss of the guy. I mean, it's like, you know, the day, come on, man. That's Kitchener. You know, it's like, it's like, <laughs> Talk to get to that for a little 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. I, 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 well, I got so Robin was like, well, okay. So give me the little introduction. Daryl, he's working and things. So I was like, what are you doing? So shake his hand and thing. He's like, what you just do? He's a musician. I was like, yeah. He said, okay. What instrument do you play? I said, well, I play keyboards. He said, okay. Practice every day. I said, okay. And with that, he left. That was the end of my conversation with I was like, you done? <laughs> Nice, isn't it? I mean, you know, like nothing more, not a cookie, nothing. You know, it's like, but I stood there and until yet, still, you tell yourself with the bicycle. I, I could literally say today, I spoke to each other, right. you know what I mean? And when he woke off, you know, I said, I'm not thinking to myself, because he went inside to do a session with Robin and him. And I'm thinking to myself, but I just talked to Kitchener, but it was like 15 seconds. And that 15 seconds, he tell me something that was really important. Practice every day. So even though sometimes in life, you might not think something is what you wanted it to be. Like I more or less, you would have thought that that conversation might have been a little longer. And I get to ask him about Gina and um, about, maybe Gina, about um, Sugar Boom Boom. And that's what I wanted to do. Find out where he's getting to how you get these ideas and things. That's why I wanted to go with the conversation. No, sir. Practice every day. <laughs> so but I walk away with practice every day and it became it became something that every morning when I would take my half an hour with the, with the keyboard and every time I go to play I remember him mm. even today if I go to like let's like say I, I ain't play keyboards for a while and today he's getting a rusty right. and he go and he sit down and he to play up a few little things I will remember that I remember him saying practice every day because that was such a profound simple statement you know and I learned that in life that you know sometimes not what you think a situation is it always look like it but Take from it what you get. Walk away with it. 
the glass is always half full, you know. I am the eternal optimist. And from that meeting with him, would have had meetings with Rash OTI and would have get to sit down and have the deep, long conversations with Shoti, you know, and got to understand what he was thinking about through this whole formulation of the music, you know, and the combine combining of the African and the Indo the fusion to come up with the calypso and the soca, I mean, and you know, and those conversations were very, very knowledgeable and very helpful in making me understand my culture. Because haven't I, if I didn't go and get that job at engineering room, I would have not learn about the musical heritage and culture of Trinidad and Tobago. And because of the people that I was exposed to. So then I had a, I was, I started to be able to take my music now and add to the music that I like, which was hip hop, reggae, dancehall. I could add the culture of Trinidad and Tobago into it because I know, I know I realized what is the, what is the strum for Calypso and how the, how the progression goes. And I know I could take that and I could add it to a piece of dancehall music if I go in and do something else. Right? I will use the drum pattern from this, but I'll use the chords from here and I'll play the bass like this. So then now you get the correct combination of things. So then that now put me in a place where I could have started to create my own S-O-U-N-D. So I started to create my own song and sit down there night after night because I would go to work sometime in the morning. I would go in the studio in the morning. I mean, even until whenever time. Because once the studio opened, I created and I'm trying to work. And did that up until the point where KMC and I sat back down. We met because we broke off for a while and... Came back around in 96, 97, and we did the Bashment to Carnival. And that is when my life and his life changed. And the year after that, I would have done, I went and do Gallon the year after that. This is Bungie Gallon. Bungie Ian Alvarez Gallon. Right? I think it's only one person who will name Gallon. Well, that's making it clear <laughs> for the people that who don't know. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> you know? I mean, the first time, I mean, the first time, because. It's, 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 a, it's a story, it's a, it's a fun story, you know, like, first of all, like, a better, but talented guy, I, they, they had rented some studio time at engine room, he was working with another producer, and I walk in on the corridor, and I hear in this voice, I remember the song and all, but for copyright reasons, I ain't gonna sing it, you know? <laughs> I remember the song he was singing, and all, I hear in this voice coming out of the room, and I'm like, what's this, who voices are? But this man is articulating on the mic, and I say, wow, this shoot bad, though, whoever he is. And because I know coming off of that night, like year before I know do KMC, mm. so now my stock's starting to go up because people coming to me for, from all over know, oh, I want to do a record, I want to do a record. So I know I'm to see money and that's like, yeah. So I started to look for artists now. Mm. And I ain't this man, I was like. So when they, when they finished with their session, I walk in the room to see who is this artist. So I hear this voice, so I expecting to see this person. When I walk in the room, the guy just stand up in the room, they normal, quiet. So the producer who was working with him, I ask him, I said, well, who is this you? He said, Bungie Gallet. I was like, who? You know, like, you know, like, there's a weird name. <laughs> like, I, you know, we would, then it would have went to the whole mission of, you know, like, I tell him, like, I wanted to work with him, but then he kind of like, more or less, hide Gallen from me for about a year. <laughs> we, we laugh about this yeah, to this yeah, day. Yeah. Because I used to be like that, where the man? I tried to find the man. He said, but I give the man your number. Which when we did eventually hook up, we realized that that was not what was going on. But everything happens in it within its timing and everything. And everything happened when it was supposed to happen. Mm. And um, it worked out well. Mm. And we are where we are today. You know, um, that combination came about because, you know, he still wanted to do hardcore dance all because that's all he knew. And all young people, that's all they knew because that you go to school in a maxi taxi. That's all we used to hear because our music never was representative of the youth. Mm. It was always the older heads in them and they never used to look like the youth in that time. So like, 
We're talking late, middle to late 90s. The youth was looking, they were searching. The only young person you would have seen would have been Marshall. And then Marshall was struggling with his Panasonic Express, turning into ecstatic. And he was still trying to become somebody now because moving from child star to big person star does be a hard period. And I remember seeing Marshall going through that period. I, do, I doubt it could have been easy. Mm-hmm. But I show the struggles that he went through in that period and having to be a perfectionist is what have him who he is today. Mm-hmm. Because I remember Marshall used to be putting on records that nobody care about. You know what I mean? And look at him today. He's like a total different person. But he's a perfectionist. So he work, 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 work. And it is what it is. But back then, it didn't have young people for a young artist to look up at. So Ken was there. Then it had like Maximus came about. Then Gallon come. So now we started had like this youth bubble. And the youth get a song now. This Ragasuka song. So this Ragasuka thing came into Trinidad hardcore in the late 90s. And it's still here today in its different incarnations. But it's still here today. It's the test of time. I think what, what, what I appreciated from the knowledge that I gained, uh, that I gained from the older heads that was able to help me in my earlier career to create the song that I was creating is what I would really like to impart now to younger producers and stuff. Because our music going through another lost period again. Mm. We dare, we be dear, and the, the, the mix and the blends are coming. And I like the mix and the blends that are coming, but what is missing is the S-O-U-L, the soul. Our music have a song. It have a, it have a something in it. And it's beginning to be losing that. And we're starting to get all the other trimmings of everything else. Right. And it's have a little inflection of us. But we need to have a little more of us so that it will always sustain the test of time and be able to stand the test of time. Because a lot of the stuff that these fellas and them doing now, because of missing that core and because of missing these fellas having the conversations, like how I was able to have a conversation with the older heads, because now that dissemination of information is no longer easily attainable like how it was back then. And even back, but I don't think it was easily attainable, but I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. But now what lends to the whole creative process where producers are concerned now is once you have an iMac and you could buy Logic and you could buy two speakers and an interface home and you buy some Sonic and put on the wall, you become a producer. Voila. But that is not really what it is. So the whole thing is for us how to get to understand the meaning of what our music is, the culture, the struggle, the tambu bambu, the where, why, why Calypso came about, why the slaves started to sing it, why is call and response, why this be like, I tell me that it's been to call and response, what that was about. We need to understand all these little things so we can keep putting it in our music for real now, right? Because like I tell fellas, reggae, stay reggae from ever since, since Chris Blackwell went and take Bob Marley and them singing ska and rock steady and all them thing. And he take that music and carry it over to England, slow it down, blues it up and put that strength, right? Since those, since that happened to this day, reggae is still reggae. Reggae haven't changed. So we know our music does our music does change so much, like with the breeze. So you find now that so because yesterday English sound like so good, but because we do have that central thing that makes it what it is. And I think that is missing. And education and dissemination of information to the younger guys in the game is going to help that. So just for my information and and, and hopefully somebody else listening will kinda take kinda give me the essence of what that soul. Should, also be. should be 
what it should be. What it should be. Um, it's a good question. If I had to go back to what Shorty would say to me is our unique cosmopolitan situation that we have here and that blending of the African and the Indo culture. It's a weird thing that happened along the way, you know, because you find what Shorty created and called Soka, this is going to sound really strange, but it's what we call Chutney Soka. What we call Soka is more the jab part of our culture, the, 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 the blue devil, the jabulasi part of our culture, because the snare patterns, the everything about it is, if you go, if you remember a long time, uh, Jambala seed, them day. That is that same job culture. Is the blue devil in the on John Juve morning? Is the horns on his head? And that's that's what that's that the fusion of the Indo and the African drum that got left with Chutney Soka. And now we label that as Chutney Soka. If you watch, if a Chutney record come out today. And if it's a big record like Cha na 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 one of them records, right? That record would supersede Carnival. It would play in the Carnival. It would play out of the Carnival, and it will continue playing because it doesn't just represent for the Carnival. Mm. It represents for our culture. When a big Chutney record crossover, it is actually be the embodiment of what Rashoti I was talking about, and we don't even realize this is be happening. But because of that conversation that I have. I understand what has happened when a big chutney record cross. Because when a chutney record big and it cross, you just see it today. They just actually live. Everybody's be singing it. It's be like normal. Everybody say because that is all. That there is the fusion of the music that Ras was talking about when we spoke about. Right? And then we have the different connotations now and the different colors of it now. All is part of our culture. But just different sides of the culture we just do different things with it, right? The soca as we have it today, as I say, the up tempo ones, more or less, it is kind of like lean more to the job side, the jambalasi side of it, right? The slower, groovier ones, no, that would have been a representation of what we would have as long time as the um the social commentary. But no, we just we know we don't we're not singing only about well the government bad and no, you know, but that is a great groovy soca. We sing in normal topics. Right? Like what voice would do and that kind of thing. So you find out that, that we still have the two representatives, that, that two level of the music being rep- represented. And then we have this third arm that we call Chutney Sokano, which actually, as I said before, to me is a true representation of what Soka is supposed to be. It's a very controversial statement, but if people understand the music, they would understand what I'm talking about. You see, it, it does exactly what he wanted it to do unify the boat sides of right. the two major races in the country. Because anytime the two major races of this country come together, that force is be unstoppable. You just literally feel it. Anytime there's something big and it's everybody in trade that is part of it, you just feel it, right? And that's what's happened now. See, when you get a big chutney record, you just literally feel it because it's the embodiment of those two strong cultures coming together. And we need to understand that music could do that. And politics and other things could rip that apart and turn it into something nasty where for the benefits of a few, they would mash up a lot just for a few to benefit. And we need to, if we look at it just through the eyes of music, we realize that, hey, let us just live this thing together. Look at how good this thing is be when we put it in the music, right? And let me do look at it as, that is them, man. This is we and... And the majority of the time, by me afraid to say this, the politicians tend to be doing that, and the politicians then found a way to do it, and it works for them. 
And we, the masses on the ground, you realize that we getting played. Oh, come on, man. Let me wake up, man. Let me wake up, man. Let me just wake up, man. Let me just wake up, man. This stupidity. You just start to talk politics. What is this? You mentioned the groovy and the jambo lassie. And I guess if I could tie that back to like what we would have called power, power soga, there was a switch from a couple years ago. When no, you hardly just hear it. Yeah, hardly hear like where that went mm-hmm. okay well um from once again monitoring the situation you find that the festival needs a fuel the festival being the carnival right if you go back a couple of years and you remember when we used to have these dong tong powerful fets fire the only one that still exists is army but we had fire we had flour mills we had licensing fet we had um boxing night down in sandu we had like a few wasa we had these big dong tong fets Brass festival. We had these huge downtown fets. Now, through these downtown fets, that used to dictate the pace of the carnival. And you could literally go to a brass festival and figure out what would be road march because you could see the power of the music in that place, right? Because that, that up tempo power is what people are going to use to go on the road. And they're going to use that. And most of the time, that coming off of the party because everybody going to different parties every weekend and the songs building in the parties. And the energy of the carnival just building. Them days people are trying to go parties with no, no girls are going party, no heel. Girls are never so buy the sneakers, the ass and the this and the that and the height and the foot and the put on the short pants and pop the hair because they know what we go into a party. Nowadays, we don't go to party no more. We don't go to f- no, we don't go to fet no more. I think we go to social gatherings now, right? And because the music and the setup of the music change now. We no longer have the downtown fets to fuel the festival. So that power soaker is no longer existent because it's like it's not necessary anymore because the fets in them are designed for social gatherings. It's uptown parties now as opposed to downtown parties. So now downtown people trying to go to uptown fet to feel like I am somebody. You know, I, oh, look at me. Look at where I am. You wasn't there last night. Oh, look at my pics on Instagram. Just to say that I was there. Now, when they get there, the music is not the major component. The music now just become like window dressing. It's there. It's playing in the background, but it's not taking front stage. So now the producers and them started a couple of years ago producing the music to cater for that. Because they no longer have to cater for the downtown fest no more. Because the downtown fest is dead. So the fuel of that festival died at that point in time. So that power soaker thing come and die there. Now, the com- the, 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 the bards and the, 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 the artists and them who used to do the power soaker, you know, like the Ronnie McIntoshes and the, this one and the, who had an understanding of how to do it. They, that generation more or less started to phase out and then men went into bigger businesses and doing other things now. So now even the artists who understood the composition and how to put together power, they no longer doing it. So we left with this vacuum now where we have to create these, I'd like to call it, wallpaper music just because it's just background music there to accompany us while we have a, a glass of wine and talk about the, if, if this cheese is sour if this is the way pepper jack is actually tastes. <laughs> so we losing we losing that partying aspect we losing that partying aspect and then the music now is just catering for it now so that's why we stopped making the power soaker one and two the producers and then the younger producers them don't know how to make it because they, won't, they didn't grow up in it. So I can't fault them for that. They didn't grow up in it. And then the narrative started where, boy, power dead. 
We don't need no power no more. And that narrative started to catch on. And trade that our way where we just start to say things and it is catch on. It don't have nothing to it. No substance. No substance behind the argument. Because I see a man on the radio talking, boy, that power soccer thing dead, boy, power thing dead. And you hear men saying these things. And I'm saying to myself, you are speaking from an ignorant point from an ignorant angle. And I say ignorant in the term that we use it, like talk ignorant and stupid. Ignorant from the point where you're lacking the knowledge. Right. Right? So if we do have that festival type music inside of the festival, just how we see the power soaker disappear is so we're going to see the festival starting to disappear. The feel of carnival is going to start to change because we will start to look for the power soaker from up the islands now because the guys in the islands doing that power soaker now. So we're looking for power soaker to come out of Grenada, Antigua, St. Lucia, Vinci. That is where we're getting power soaker from. And all we're doing is singing 108 BPMs, 110, 115, 120 BPMs. We sing in group. And then the promoters of them outside of Trinidad now, when they're trying to book a real soaker fit, they can't book our artists because we can't really put you in this because your music is just groove. So you find out that they're booking a lot of the island artists. So now, once again, we're going through a situation where now we throw the baby with the baby with the bathwater. And we are we going to suffer for it in the long run if we don't put a stop to it and really go back to fueling our festival with the music that it needs before the festival actually dies for it. And the festival has become so commercialized now where it's really not even so much about the festival, it's about big business. So if you look at it through those eyes, you can then see where it's dying. It's about a uh, guy sitting down thinking, all right, all the money I'll make next year, but you know, yeah, I'm going to walk away with all the 30 million after the carnival done, right? And it's about it. That's what men just thinking about now. It's about, so we need to make sure that that music stays true. So to any young producer listening, any artist listening, start back. Go back, dig up the archives, see how that thing used to be. Go watch it, see it, feel it, and still recognize now that when Iowa drop one, it's still bad all day. When boy drop one, it's still bad because them know how to do it. So all of men is be talking about, oh, the soca dead. When when soca kingdom, when it start, everybody like, where we where? Because he know how to do it. It ain't dead. It's just that all not doing it no more. You understand? When Anna, when I was jump out there, we did this Havana, we done what in Havana. Everybody like, we jump out there, that's it. We need it. Because that's part of we culture. Let us don't throw it away. Let us stop talking rubbish about we don't need power soaker no more. It's part of our culture, right? And we also, we need the groove. So we can't throw away the other for the other. Let the both of them coexist for the betterment of our music and our festival and everything. And if you want to market the stuff to different markets and you're probably thinking that, you know, the 150 BPMs, people mightn't get it. I get that. But that's why we have the also you're doing the lower BPM ones. So that if you want to market your thing to a market that you think think might not understand the root of that high powered energy thing until they come here and see the carnival because when they come in it and they see the carnival then they would understand oh that's why the music does be like this right so no we we can't yeah so we can't we can't throw it away and we need to really understand it a little more so the guys the younger guys are coming up in the game you know go do a little more research find somebody who are a little a little older than you in the business and see it out before ask a question you know what i mean and you know see how best we could keep the culture alive keep this thing alive keep putting money in everybody's pocket you know what i mean because you can live comfortable off of it once we have a proper business model running with it 
listening to what you're saying, it seems that music as a whole, as the art form, has the power to move people in a particular way. What's your take on, on just music and the power of music itself? Ah, boy, this is a serious question you're asking. I mean, hmm. Dano, that is a level. That is when people have to start to take off the normal shades, the normal blinders that the world give us and start to see the world through different eyes and understand what the world is to really understand what music is. Because we've been listening to music since we were born and it's just eight notes. It's an octave. It's one scale. Since you were born, you've been listening to music. It's that same eight notes. Your grandfather before you was listening to music, the same eight notes. His grandfather before him was listening to them, same eight notes. People in Kazakhstan, in India, here, all over the world, they, they play these same eight notes. And look at the amount of music in this world. That is not no mistake thing. That is not no, that is nothing to take for granted and think that that is something light and flippant. Music is, music is more than life. Music is, I think music is life because everything around us is music. You listen to the breeze blow. It blows with a key. It has a feel to it. The trees lean. Everything, everything have a pattern and a melody and everything that goes along with it. Look at the ocean. Look at the water, the waves breaking on the shores. It breaks in a pattern. Everything has pattern, melody, vibe in it. Music to me is that. Music is so much more than just the song that comes through the speaker. To get that song that comes through the speaker is so many different vibes and so many different frequencies. And then if you understand this world that we live in, it's frequencies. We oscillate at certain frequency. I oscillate at a certain frequency. We all oscillate at different frequencies. That's why you may like somebody you are young, you may meet somebody and you need one minute to say, I like this person. That's when you and this person oscillating at the same frequency and it's like, oh gosh, you all connect. No, music on the other hand, no. Music has so many different frequencies in it so that it could touch so many different people at so many different times. And if you decide that, okay, you understand how to put together music and you understand how the different chords and different notes within that same octave does, that's how you understand how you could bring out emote different feelings in people just by playing chords. That's when the whole concept and the idea of music now starts to transcend just what you hear coming out of the speaker because something I like to do, I like to go into the studio either late in the night or early in the morning where it's quiet, nothing, nobody. And the first thing that I hear come to my head, I play and you record it. And then you play something on top of that and you play something on top of that and you just make this piece of music. And let's say after 45 minutes to an hour, you sit down there with a piece of music that is going to outlive you your grandchildren, your grandchildren, children, because music is immortal. That's the only thing, that's one of the very few things that we can create that is immortal. Even if you make your kids, you know your kids have a mortality. They have a certain lifespan. And then that generation will go into another generation. But it still cuts off at one point in time. Music don't die. Music, you, they are music that here for hundreds of thousands of years, pieces of music, and it will be here f- until then. And we need to understand how serious music is and respect it for what it is. Respect the different genres, respect all form of music, and don't use music as no little ploy and no little toy. You know what I mean? Understand how serious this thing that we're playing with is. 
I could feel the passion as you're speaking, I could feel it. So what would you say has been your greatest sacrifice that you have made to do this thing called music, to execute your creativity in this in this way? What has been my greatest sacrifice? Nobody never asked me that question. That's a very good question. Dan. Let me think about that real quick. I sacrificed a lot of stuff to get to where I am today. Like my what I'm living right now is my plan E. Right. I didn't have a plan B. No, I wanted to have a plan B. My plan B would have been to go and get my degree and do psychology. I literally scratched off that plan B. I never wanted a plan B. If my plan A didn't work out, I would have gone and find another plan A. If we had to look at it through that perspective, it would be that I didn't take the time to go and take the five years off and go and do the psychology degree. But I don't even know if that is so important, really and truly, to match up to this, the, the, the gratification of living the life that I live right now, if we have to put it in those regards. Yeah, I wanted to do psychology and I wanted to have a degree. But I know, so by now I might have a master's. I know that I have practice that I have like about two or three. Pro- I know that, that would have been that would have been probably my only other thing. I reached that point though where I could really say, first, never go and get a next plan, eh? Because my plan it don't work already. So now I could go and find a next plan. Because I hate plan B's. You see, plan B's, plan B's just tell you that just in case this thing that you're doing ain't work. Nah, I never came into this with no just in case it's not gonna work. This is gonna work. If this don't work, I is very grand out it. <laughs> I live on the side of the road and I can't one box. And that is not going to happen. You know, that is not going to happen. So I knew it was going to work. It was hard. I'm not selling no, no loot to nobody out there. Make anybody feel that this was an easy journey. This had real ups and downs, real disappointing. Music does have so much disappointment. And sometimes if you're not strong, you will train that towel and just decide, why well, I good there. You know? How did you overcome those, those, those points to keep your... Going the saying, yeah. total and entire belief in that it have a force so much bigger than me that does guide my life. I am not a religious person. I do believe in religion, per se. I am spiritual, very spiritual. And I knew that this bigger being that me and him have, who it have this relationship that even though you reach them lows, those lows were the points that it bring you to, to get you stronger. So because of my inner innate belief in this force that is bigger than me, even though things got rough, I had something there to, to, to lean on to say, well, boy, hey, you will make it in our racks. When I saw the failures and I saw the, the knocks, the hard knocks, and <laughs> sometimes you really just want to say no, and I'm good. But you really just look back to that place and that person and that guiding spiritual force in your life and that person and that force is take you with him and carry you to places and use one that is yourself. Because Dan, for me to live my dream, this cannot just be a mystery. It had to be me putting all these positive energies into the universe from since I'm only Jamaicans and say from my idea I from since I small me putting all these positive energies stating that this is what I want to be this is what I want to become and this is the universe react 
tapped into all these positive energies that I put out, right? I always try to explain to people. I don't go deep in these things. I this like a whole other podcast. But it's, we we don't understand that we are part of this world. We look at ourselves as just little mortals walking around. But that tree that is bare green flower at a certain time of the year, nobody never tell him that. It didn't have no... You didn't see a class of trees and a teacher telling him that, you know, the, 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 the nature tells him that at this point of the year, this is going to happen. And he does it. It happens. It happens because that is his purpose. My purpose was always to be put out positive energies and wait for the positive feedback. Stay away from negative low frequencies because the mud that exists in those low frequencies sometimes is too hard for the positive to cut through. Be able to recognize and see negative frequencies. Be able to see it because sometimes low frequencies is come in different forms. Be able to see it. Stay away from negative influences, right? And open yourself up to all the positive that it will have to offer. And at the same time, ask for the correct things. Know what you really want. Know, understand in your life what I really need to get from point A to point B. Not this flippantly, I, 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 I think I need to buy a red bottoms. I need, no, it's rubbish. Know what you really need, right? Know that, okay, if I help Dano today, right? And through that positive energy that I put out to help Dano, if Dano receives it as positive energy, and Dano decides to go and help out Jane. Jane would receive it as positive energy too. And she would go and help John. And then that circle of positivity would just spread outward until somebody come and break that chain with some negative crap. But if we all understand that thing there, put out positive and wait for it to come back. I think that is what I did. And that has always been my little guiding force through this whole little thing. Put all the positives and wait for them to come back. Before we wrap up, I would ask, if you had a space that you could put out one message for people to take away, what would that message be? That was literally just what we talked about. That, that honestly, it will just be really and truly find your calling in life, your true calling in life. Not the ones that people or society put on you. Not the ones that you probably think flashy and looks pretty. It might not be the best looking job. It might not be the best looking thing. It might not be the best looking part, but it's what you want. Find that. Make that your full center. Use it. Use all your energy in your body to achieve it. And sit down and wait for the rewards to come because it is going to come. A huge thanks to Darrell Braxton for coming through and thank you for listening. Please share this episode with someone who would find it valuable. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the show now on Apple Podcasts to get new episodes as they become available. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. It would help us reach other listeners just like you. Find additional content on abigboxofcrayons.com. Follow us on Instagram at abigboxofcrayons. Until next time, friends, remember... We are all the same in the fact that we'll never be the same. Stay colorful. The We Are Crayons podcast is a production of the Big Box of Crayons. All rights reserved.